you so much for tuning in for another episode of Behind the Horse's Eyes. I am your gracious host, Ryan. As always, today we have an awesome guest on. Flo Schmorgoner of Aiken, South Carolina, off-the-track thoroughbred trainer extraordinaire, joins us and sits down and talks about some of the heart and soul it takes to work with these amazing horses. We go from off-the-track thoroughbreds at one point, to breeding, to quarter horses, to warm bloods. It, it, it gets all over the map, and it, it's some great content. So if you guys stick around to the end, you will not be disappointed. So without any further ado, here's Flo. Today we are joined by Flo Schmorgoner of Aiken, South Carolina. Actually new to Aiken, South Carolina, correct? Yes, yes I am. Well, well, new again. I think you've been here before? I've been here a couple times just visiting. Um, when I was working in Maryland, I would come visit every so often. Well, tell us a little about yourself. What What is your story as far as horses go? And a particular type of horse that, that you are known for. Yes, um... So I started riding in Colorado. I was seven years old. So in 2002, um, I started with the Pony Hunters where I had an abundance of gray ponies to ride. And I got somewhat successful in the Pony Hunters. But as we all know, we can't uh, always stay the size for the ponies. So I continued on, um, went on to do the equitation, was pretty successful, ended up having some great rounds in some Washington International at classes. And afterwards, uh, the horse I was riding was sold. So I decided, hey, you know what, let me just go straight to the jumpers. And I did that for a few years until um, I was 18. I ended up finishing at meter 20, which is about four foot. And then uh, went active duty in the military. And while I was doing that, I started really getting into the off-the-track thoroughbreds. So what is your, with the off-the-track thoroughbreds, I, I get asked all the time about my opinion on off-the-track thoroughbreds, and I always tell people, my opinion is it doesn't mean nothing. And the reason being is I've never actually worked with them other than I owned one that was the giant biggest baby you'd ever want to meet. There was no run in this horse. We were so concerned that we actually had this horse vetted because we were concerned something was wrong with him. Now he just was lazy. And I'm talking jockey club papered off the track thoroughbred over 16 hands, laziest thing on the planet. So was it just happenstance that off the track thoroughbreds came into your life? Or was it at the time back when they were, you know, a lot more affordable? Was it something that you saw, you know, that you could get into on your budget? I mean, what, what drew you to off the track thoroughbreds? Well, my first off-the-track thoroughbred, I had her when I was 12 years old. Um, she was about 15 hands, uh, maybe a little bit bigger. Had a very unsuccessful racing career and turned her into a, a show horse. and Or I didn't. The people that owned her did. Turned her into a show horse, and they bred her to a big warm-blood stallion. And after she had the baby, they said, you know what? I know you're looking for a lease horse. We're kind of done with her. And that was my first introduction to off-the-track thoroughbreds. And I 
immediately fell in love. She's small bay mare, so much try. I mean, you point her at a jump, she's going to get you both to the other side, however she sees fit. <laughs> she, like, just a good, solid mare. Um, unfortunately, she ended up colicking, um, and we couldn't save her, but ever since then, I that just started it. That sparked the fire of loving the off-the-track thoroughbreds, and the biggest reason is I uh, I had an Oldenburg gelding in 2015. I bought him. And then in 2019, I sold him because he was, I think, 17-1, 17-2 by the time I sold him. He was extremely athletic, but lazy as I'll ever get. And honestly, just not not an easily trainable horse. So I sold him and I bought a little thoroughbred mare and I was in California and one day I saw an auction online of this big, beautiful chestnut gelding. And he was on the track at the time, race trained, never raced because he was so slow. And I told my husband about him and he goes, you think you can win this online auction? I go, I think I can. And two days later, I went up to the Los Alamitos racetrack in California and picked him up and that started my echo five performance horses business so with your business what are you doing with these off the track thoroughbreds what is what is your in what are you doing currently and what is your end goal let's put it that way with your business so currently i'm just finding off the track horses Usually I go for something that has not had an injury, just is retiring because it's unsuccessful or is a war horse that is ready to retire. I go for either or, and I just want to give them a chance at a sport horse life. Um, We all know that the horse business isn't really um, very profitable, but these horses, it really is just for me to help them find a home for people like me that don't necessarily have $50,000 for a sport horse, but want to go to a show and compete and just have a good time on their 10,000 and under budget. So as it stands right now with, with your business taking off the track thoroughbreds, which is obviously a labor of love for you and more about the horse uh, and your connection personally with these horses in particular, because I'm also aware that sometimes the off-the-track thoroughbred can kind of be a forgotten horse to a lot of people. Um, unless you're in that niche of horse, most people don't even think about them. I've seen them uh, as cow sorters. I've seen them do ranch work. I've seen them all over the place in the Western world, too. And that's you know definitely becoming more popular. Um, I'm not sure you're going to take one out there and compete at a high level. Um, but in my particular industry, the barrel industry, I do see off-the-track thoroughbreds quite a bit competing at a high level. And also um, being horses worthy of breeding with a quarter horse to make an appendix. Um, In your honest opinion, getting into off-the-track thoroughbreds, is this a smart idea for somebody just starting out as a trainer? Starting out as a horse trainer, depending on their experience, um, really determines my answer. If this is their first time training a horse ever, hard no, telling them right now. Um, Because these horses come off the track 
extremely fit. And a lot of people don't match that same level of fitness, especially if you're just getting into the training side of the house for the horses. But someone that's, let's say, trained five horses, maybe one of those, they started under saddle, did the whole colt breaking game. I think an off the track is a great next step for them. But someone just starting out, I would not get one straight off the track. I really just wouldn't. There's so much that these horses, I don't want to say go through, but they are trained. And a lot of people talk about you have to retrain them. Yeah, we're retraining them, but not that much. They come from the track, usually knowing how to cross tie, knowing how to hot walk, knowing how to pony. But the fitness level is what gets a lot of people is these horses, their workouts might be a mile and a half long at a gallop. And if the horse decides while you're retraining them that they're on a straightaway and that's what they were taught is to go hard and just gallop as fast as they can, most people aren't going to be able to handle that or they're not going to want to handle that. I think a lot of people miss the point with thoroughbreds as a whole is, you know, they look at warm bloods and horses of that caliber and they go, well, you know, that's not really for me because, you know, that's a warmer horse. That's a hotter horse. And they forget that. And they, they look at thoroughbreds and they go, well, you know, a lot of people have thoroughbreds. And they forget that technically the thoroughbred is a hot blooded horse. Right. And its temperament is generally going to be higher than your Oldenburg or your Dutch warm blood or your Irish warm blood. Um, on the extreme level, we're talking some can make Arabians look like kittens. Right. 100%. Um, and every thoroughbred I've ever run across is different. That's not saying it can't be a good pleasure horse for someone. Um, but as far as, the, as far as thoroughbreds as a whole, how do you feel about the whole breed or the direction the breed is going away, <sighs> even away from track horses? Let's just step away from track horses and look at them as the, the sport horse uh, industry. How is the thoroughbred going for you? Because I'm not in that world. That's fair. Um, I have two very mixed reactions um, in regards to what people are doing for the horses off the track. I love it. I see more people getting into thoroughbreds. I see a ton of incentive programs. I see a ton of shows. There, Everybody wants more thoroughbreds to come in, and they're making it happen. However... The biggest issue I have with the jockey club specifically is they don't allow for artificial insemination. And that means we're we're breeding horses for the now, not for the future. Because we don't have samples of secretariat lying around that we can breed a horse to and create a horse that will last through its entire career and will run fast, right? We're playing we're just rolling the dice with the thoroughbreds that we're breeding because the majority of breeding from thoroughbreds is for racing um right wrong or indifferent that's where we're at and they're not creating a horse to last unfortunately and over the past probably 15 20 years we've seen it get progressively worse um with how many horses that come off the track because of soundness issues and while i love the breed I don't think many of the people that are breeding are breeding to improve the breed. They're just breeding for the short term because in all honesty, most racehorses will retire at three years. And after that, 
they're going to sell the horse and try again with another one. And, you know, I always think, you know, and I always hear people, especially thoroughbred people, and they talk about, you know, well, you know, our breed requires live cover to be registered. And, and it, and to me, that's always baffling because coming from the Western world where, uh, we still have highbrow cat frozen, right? you know, if we want him, um, you know, and horses like now that are very popular, even if you don't agree because the market is kind of saturated with them, but like metallic cat, um, there will be some metallic cat left, you know, 10 years after he's gone. Um, and the crazy thing is, is we're not ever going to have or see what a horse like Barbaro could have been because that's gone. We're never going to see what, taking secretariat and um who was who was the philly ruffian yeah yeah secretariat and a ruffian right what that could be we'll never have that option right and i mean do i think it's a good thing i think in a lot of aspects that's a really good thing because then they could the thoroughbred breeders on the track could just continuously breed fast horses with a complete disregard towards soundness but at the same time the one thing that all of the really great thoroughbreds on the track had in common was they were able to finish a lengthy career relatively sound and we just were not breeding that we're we're getting lucky with a few. We're getting lucky with horses like Justify, American Pharaoh. Um, we're not breeding the same kind of quality. And because we don't allow for artificial insemination, it will always be a roll of the dice. Yeah. And, and I'm in 100% agreement with you. And obviously, you know, I am on the outside looking into your industry because it's different from mine. But I look at and I make the comparison and I, I and I always say quarter horses, even though I'm not technically a quarter horse guy. I always say quarter horses because they're not doing everything right. But the the things that a lot has done um, has benefited the breed. It's 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 every breeding. Most people have the mentality of down the road and right. not so much right now. And now you do have a handful of people that are breeding for right now. They want that that next top rainer and they don't care how they get it and they don't care what comes after. They want that money right now. But it has turned into the industry as a whole it's all about that equal stat number yep. at the end of the day and they want they want 80 million dollars. And a lot of people see dollar signs and they think cruelty well, in that industry, dollar signs usually means longevity of a horse and right. a horse that's done well and stayed healthy. And in the end, that's how that breed benefits. If if we look at quarter horses um, at the inception of the American Quarter Horse Association, when, like, you know, I do a lot of breed profiles and a lot of horse profiles, and a lot of them are quarter horses – and you look at those horses, and they died at 22. They died at 19. Right. They died at 25. Now we're looking at quarter horses. Oh, he died at 36. He died at 40. You know, he died at 33. Um, if you make it past 30, and you were bred as a performance horse, you did good. And and that's right. my honest opinion on that. 100%. Um, the thoroughbreds. Um, 
fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how we look at it, I haven't been with many horses at the end of their life. Um, I'm the majority of my work is in their younger years, but I haven't seen a lot of people that say their thoroughbred made it to 35. It's 25 to 30. And I think the lack of longevity perspective in the thoroughbred breeding has a lot to do with that is they really are breeding for that two, three-year-old. And a lot of horses, even if they have an extremely successful three-year-old career, they will retire them and not have a four-year-old career. They won't test them as a four-year-old, which at four, that's when they're, at least their legs are almost finished developing. So it's definitely the thoroughbred industry isn't working hard enough to correct their deficiencies. And and I want to switch gears just a little bit more toward the training aspect, if that's okay. And and, and it's going to tie right in. And, and and it honestly touches on what you just said. I get a lot of people, and they, they come at me all the time, especially if I do anything that has to do with thoroughbreds. And I, I try to avoid it because I'm not um, I'm not as, as in tune with that world. Um, but, you know, horses as a whole, that whole uh, genus, you know, we're not talking about breed here. We're just talking about the whole genus of horse that we know. I get a lot of people that say, you know, oh, a, a horse should not be started until it's mature. And so I always look at them and go, so we're going to start starting horses at six now. Right. And. You know, you look at the research, and the research says, and um, and I want your take on this because this is how I read it, and from the what I have read, and you may know more, you're more in the know than I am, is that what a lot of researchers are saying now that horses that are started later and end up in a performance atmosphere later are more prone to energy and I mean energy, excuse me, more prone to injury and more prone to life-altering events that may cause them to be euthanized in their early teens as compared to horses that are started at two and three stand a chance to live longer and you're talking about thoroughbreds i've seen thoroughbreds that never touched the track and died at 19 and 20. right so i I don't think the track plays a part in those horses dying at a young age right so what is your take on the age argument with starting horses later compared to earlier my my take is if the knees are developed let's go right for me working with warm bloods for the past seven months it's given me a little bit perspective on breeds and i know a lot of people might come after me for this one but breeds do develop a little bit differently the bigger the horse the slower they will go however I don't think it's reasonable to turn out a horse for four years, wait for their legs to be completely developed before you start doing any work with them. I don't think it's unreasonable to sit on a two-year-old and do walk trot for 10 minutes every two days or every other day. I think it's really healthy for them. And I think there's a direct correlation between soundness and slowly working a horse up correctly to do the work that they're meant to do because just like the human body if 
I can't get up in the morning with no warm up and go squat 250 pounds. That would be a ridiculous task for me to do. But that's what a lot of people in the horse world are doing right now is they're saying, I'm going to wait till my horse is four to start them. I'm going to wait. I'm going to turn them out in the field. They can do whatever. And at four, I'll start the groundwork. And they come in with the mentality of in 30 days, this horse is going to have five rides. For 30 days from halter broke to five rides, walk, trot, canter. And I think that is one of the most ridiculous ideas in the entire world because not only is it a complete shock to the system for the horse they're still so young and you're introducing so many different tasks to them that you are setting yourself up and your horse for failure especially if someone says okay I have this four-year-old warm blood after 30 days they somehow have it walk trot canter that there are so many holes in that horse's foundation whereas if you took it out as a two-year-old did all the groundwork and at two and a half, three years old, you're doing pony rides around the arena. That horse, when it turns four, it's going to have the answer already to a ton of questions. At the same time, yes, they're not developed yet, and there could potentially be issues with starting two-year-olds. But if done correctly, there should never be an issue, and it, in fact, will help the horse with its soundless longevity in the future. Well, and I was the other night I got a an interest sparked by a, a comment that was left on a TikTok video. And so I started digging. I ended up on Texas A&M's website. And I'm I'm a firm believer if if it comes from Texas A&M, it comes from Auburn or it comes from UGA and it has to do with horses. Pay attention um, because they do some amazing things with equine health at all three of those schools. Um, and so I was on this. I was reading this paper at Texas A&M. And Texas A&M is saying that, and, and this researcher, um, I forget the name, and they'll probably never listen to this, but if somebody knows it, I'm sorry. They, um, This research, researcher was saying that from the group of horses that they tested, horses are peaking athletically between three and a half and four and a half years old. That is that was their athletic peak out of so many horses that they'd done. Somewhere around between three and five, somewhere like three and a half to four and a half. Some went to six, but the average was three and a half to like four and a half or five and a half years old. That was their athletic peak. So if you're waiting for a horse to completely mature at around age six, that horse's peak physical fitness has already passed. According to this research. Right. And I'd, I'd love it if you'd send me the article because what I find interesting is now switching over to the jumper side. Um, the international five star is set at meter 60, which is approximately five foot three. And to go and jump a horse that height takes 10 years of training at the very least. And 10 years is quick. I mean, the majority of the horses in the Olympics were somewhere between 12 and 15 for the show jumping portion, um, some even older. Same thing with dressage. To get to the Grand Prix level in the FEI and have a chance at the Olympics or some other events, those horses are between probably 15 and 17 years old, and that's just the amount of training it takes to get them there. The war, But I find it interesting because these horses 
it takes so long for them to get to that level the warm blood world really does try to not start horses until four years old granted i have never seen an upper level horse with a ppe done come back that it didn't have maintenance if that makes sense almost all of these horses that compete at the top level when started at a later age, they have some kind of maintenance issues in their early to mid-teens. And I think there's a direct correlation of people just turning them out and hoping for the best and then coming in at four years old, five years old, and drilling them to get them to in 10 years or sometimes even faster, unfortunately, to this top level um, versus you have, going back to the thoroughbreds, you have horses that are started Sometimes at 18 months, they have someone in a stall sitting on them. And then at two years old, usually about two and a half, they're starting their racing career. Um, I don't see a lot of 15-year-old thoroughbreds competing at the top level, but I do see a lot of 15-year-old thoroughbreds competing at the local level and doing very, very well and not having a ton of maintenance. So I think it's definitely, there's two sides to everything. And I think there's a positive to one, but I definitely think that the hunter jumper world, we can do better by the horses by just slowly incorporating work versus one day just saying, okay, I've got a month to turn you into a riding horse and just going and running with it. No. And the and if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go back and look, and I'll send it to you. Uh, what actually what what their test was was a flat run, ah, that makes and sense. and they were each horse was timed, and at a certain age they noticed that it plateaued, and then at a certain age they noticed that it declined. So something like jumping where there's finesse involved, right. uh, I think it's a complete monkey wrench in that. Um, in that way of thinking. Um, now, I mean, obviously with a racehorse, you're not going to go out there and, um, and, and race a 15 year old. I mean, it, it, that doesn't happen. I mean, I'm maybe with your buddies in the backyard or something, but, um, you know, that, that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I found the research kind of fascinating. And even though that they're, I think it was a mixed bag of horses, quarter horses, some thoroughbreds and, um, you know, just everything they could throw in there to kind of get a sample size. So I, I I found it super interesting. But touching on what you were saying about the 30 days, and everybody's got this idea in their mind that 30 days is the magic number. Right. And I think that's the most asinine argument in the world because if you can do all of that in 30 days, imagine what you could really do in 60 days. Right. And when somebody comes to me, and I don't get, I don't start a lot of horses these days. Um, I do get some to to finish out, or I get some that friends um, have pretty much finished, but they just need some more rides. They'll come here, and I'll just put some rides on them. That's kind of where I'm at these days. And somebody goes, well, so I can come pick it up in a couple of weeks, right? And I said, well, I mean, if you want to get thrown, because I'm not going to put that many rides on it in a couple of weeks. Because we're going to do some more groundwork, and we're going to keep up on all the training that was started, and then I might put 10 rides on that horse. Absolutely. I I mean, I did colt starting um, when I still bounced really well, and 
it took me a little bit to figure out that that timeline of 30 days, and I've had people say 30 days, 30 rides, and that was insanity to me. But even the 30 days from bringing it in and it is halter broke to having it be a model citizen, I don't, granted, some horses, yeah, it's possible. Some horses have the brain of a champion and they just get everything you're throwing at them. But the majority, from what I have found, just don't. They need time. They need patience. And that 30 days puts so much pressure, not only on the trainer, but on the horse. And I have never seen anything really positive come out of a timeline with horses. I just see gaps. Yeah, 100%. That's all I ever, that's all I ever see is gaps. That's like with the, and I find it fascinating, like the extreme Mustang makeover. That is an amazing thing what what they can get those horses to do. Right. Um, but I want to see those horses then go out and become a functioning kid's trail horse. Right. And I'm not saying that some could do that, but at, at some, you know, and there's some really guru trainers out there that could probably pull that off. But I'm not thinking everybody that is competing at that level doing these makeovers are making absolutely perfectly sane, sound horses at the end of the day. Right. And I've seen some of the videos. Um, the trainers are amazing and they're very good at what they do. And the majority of the people that win, I think you and I can agree that they have brought it down to a science. They have a formula that just works. Um, it's like me with the thoroughbreds and even the retired racehorse project, um, that show they have multiple different disciplines for the thoroughbreds to do and a lot of the people sell the thoroughbreds once they're done competing especially the winners and for really good money too but the issue i have specifically with the retired racehorse project um just because i'm more familiar with it is how much how many holes are actually in this horse right we're not the judge isn't going to the barn and seeing how does it act in the cross ties? Is it cribbing in its stall? There's so many different aspects to a horse's life. It's not just the show ring. It's not just the 25 cent ribbon. And what I worry about with the timeline of 30 days is, yeah, sure, you can get that horse to walk, trot, canter now, but can it load into a trailer? I was just about to say, will it load into a trailer? Because right. You know, I was, and I, I've actually witnessed this. I have witnessed this where a friend of mine was looking at a horse. The guy said, listen, I've put 30 days on it. I've ridden it along in traffic. It's, it is great. You could put your kids on it. She goes to get it. It will not get in the trailer. And I said, it's, it won't load. I said, why won't it load? The guy goes, well, we hadn't got that far yet. Right. And it's, I mean, I whenever I sell any of my thoroughbreds, granite thoroughbreds, they go track to track. So usually they load pretty well. But on the off chance I get one that hasn't really done that, I send a video to any prospective buyer of it loading in the trailer because one, it's people like to see everything about a horse, good, bad, or indifferent. But two, it just shows that we're doing the due diligence on the ground of saying, yeah, this horse knows its basic just manners <laughs> well to me to me trailer work is a part of desensitizing right and and, and it's a step that if you're going to have especially if you're going to take a horse and it's going to be a family horse they're going to want to load that horse and go trail ride and then go ride with their friends and whatever and i honestly you know what you said dealing with thoroughbreds maybe i think that's my problem why i don't consider myself a really good trainer is because 
I'll take whatever crap somebody would drop in my yard and say work with. I, it would be a quarter horse today and a spotted saddle horse tomorrow. And, you know, I'm looking at this gated thing going, well, what are you supposed to do? You know, and ma- maybe right. I just need to just narrow it down and go, you know what? I do really good with quarter horses and Morgans. I'm just going to stick with quarter horses and Morgans. For me, the thoroughbreds, they kind of just found me and... I always joke that it just kind it takes a special kind of crazy to get along with thoroughbreds, but it really is because all the thoroughbreds that I've gotten, and I mean straight off the track, they raced two weeks before I got them, um, or less than, and they would load, take off, take them off off the trailer, and I'd grab them, and we'd do a little tiny bit of groundwork in a round pen or in the arena, wherever, walk them around a little bit. And then I would go cross-tie them, and they would stand in the cross-ties for a little bit because that's something I need to gauge. And if they were really good in the cross-ties and I didn't need help, I'd saddle them up by myself and bridle them up and do all of that the first day they step off the trailer. I mean, this is maybe an hour of them being home because in theory, this horse should be used to getting off the trailer, going to its stall, and then getting brought out for a workout. We're getting brought out to go do something, anything. So why, as a thoroughbred trainer, would I stick it in a field for three months when this horse, I I can make this transition extremely easy by just going and working it the first day and teaching it something and seeing for myself, how how easy is this horse to teach? Can it move off my leg? Oh, awesome. It can move forward off my leg. How about going over a pole? Will it do that? And this is, and I mean the very first day I get them, this is all things I do with them. Excuse me. And every single horse that I have sold has been to either a child or a beginner to intermediate adult amateur. Isn't that how it's supposed to be though? I mean, honestly. Yeah. I, I never, one horse I marketed as a pro horse, um, but she ended up selling yesterday um, to an adult amateur to go be a low-level dressage mount. I mean, the horses, if you give them all the manners, all of the small nuances in the horse world that we love in horses, something that'll cross-tie forever, something that's good for the farrier, for the vet, something that's easy to handle on the ground, something that stands still when you mount it. I mean, these small, tiny things they will always have a good home. Yeah, I I love when I read a a sell ad for a horse and it says husband or kid's horse, super athletic, super high ceiling. Usually that tells me somebody did their due diligence with that horse. Right. I mean, one of the horses, honestly, one of my favorite um, per jockey club name is She's a Colonel. Uh, the lady that came out, she came out to ride her and um, she asked her to try it, but she, it was my fault uh, as a trainer. I should have um, made her aids a little bit more dull, but she asked her to trot and the mare cantered off right away and the lady wasn't ready for it. She was more of a beginner rider and she started slipping off and this mare just stopped, not like a sliding stop, um, but just kind of ambled down to a walk, stopped and just kind of looked at the lady like, Hey, get back up in the saddle. Get yourself in the middle. We got riding to do. And it was one of the proudest moments for me seeing something that when I got her, 
she came off the track, she didn't cross tie, she didn't pick up her feet very well, Um, (coughs) excuse me, she had a missing shoe after two days, I mean, she would, she wouldn't go over a pole, Um, the first day I had to have someone pony me over poles, turn into a horse that almost a complete beginner can have as their first horse and will be safe and I keep up with them and they love her they absolutely love her and she's fantastic and they have never had an issue with her and that's the goal and I know that horse will always have a good home and I want to bring I want to well I want to ask you this honestly and get your take on this when I when I acquired my little half Morgan that I'm super proud of she's my girl I can put anybody on her these people had actually been riding her, letting their kids ride her around, and more or less it sounded like she was just allowing the kids on her because they weren't they weren't doing anything. She was doing everything, and they were letting her do it because when she come here, if you gave her any little command, she was confused by it, would crow hop. If you got on her back and ponied her or let her follow other horses, she was a perfect saint. Now she does everything. She does everything well. I can I can ground tie her for an hour. I mean, she'll just stand there. What is your opinion on people that get a horse to a point that they're comfortable with and never finish that horse? For me, I don't have a huge issue with it, um, especially for like the family type horse, right? I am totally fine with people that buy a horse that walk trot canners and jumps little cross rails and that's all they ever needed to do. Like if the horse isn't going to go show, does it really need a lead change? No. And honestly, I have the same mentality with people. Um, when I, tr- when I'm an instructor is I always ask myself, is this person looking to be a five-star Grand Prix rider? Is this horse, is this person trying to be, the next um, international derby winner or is this person just wanting to make it through a course and be happy same kind of mentality i take with the horses is if i get a horse that's really really athletic i'm going to not let it have any holes in the training but i get a horse in and they're kind of lazy they are what's the term i'm looking for um they're willing but they're not super athletic i know off the bat that horse it's going to be a great family horse i'm not going to bother with trying to make it turn on the haunches i'm not going to bother with a turn on the forehand i'm not going to bother with the leg yielding if they want to do it that horse is willing enough it will but for me at that point i'm guilty of it too i get the horse to the point where Anybody can sit on it. Anybody can do walk, trot, canner, jump a few cross rails, maybe a lead change. But I just get it to the point where I know I can hand it off to a kid or a intermediate rider and that horse will do its job and not have an issue and that rider will be safe. And we're in 100% agreement Not every horse needs to do a flying lead change. Not Not every horse needs to be able to jump you know, three meters or, or whatever. The, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in the jumping world. Forgive me. No, um, it's all good. I'm, I'm just trying to think of the metric system. I have, you know, it's, that's, 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 you know, you got to equate that to feet for me, for, for me to get a full understanding. 
the five foot three. That's that's pretty much um, the top for Grand Prix. Okay, so it's, oh man, I was going like nine feet, whatnot. <laughs> yeah, a little. <clears throat> yeah, almost heck, nine if you feet. find a horse that can jump three meters, send it my way. Wasn't there a horse in South America that holds that record? It was almost two meters, or I think there was one that did hit two meters. Um, there's there's been a couple um, passants that they they got up there. I think like meter eighty, meter ninety, which bless those riders hearts because i could never gallop up to a jump that looks like a brick wall that is almost six feet tall and go i'm a jump that knowing my luck it'd be one of those jumps where there's like water on the other side yeah the i don't even mess with those the uh but you know i i've always looked at this if the horse is is going to be a kid's horse uh, a husband's horse and uh, to me, a husband's horse is always for the husband that didn't ride, but the wife rides, and he needs a a, a pony horse to, to 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 follow around on the trail. You know, a husband horse or a horse for an older person that's been away and wants to just come back and have a nice relaxing ride. Right. If it goes, stops, and loads, and will tie, that's really all they need. It's good, exactly. And I, granted, there's. Like in the dressage world, there's no such thing as a finished horse because um, they're constantly training them and um, aiming to be better. There's always things that they can improve on. But in the hunter-jumper world, we really don't differentiate between a finished three-foot horse and a finished meter 60 horse. The difference is the price point because, in theory, a three-foot hunter should have all the same buttons as the international derby horse one is more athletic one jumps higher one is a million dollars one is if it's a warm blood 50,000 if it's a thoroughbred 7,500 well and I've always considered the term and I used finished a lot and a lot of times I use the term finished incorrectly uh, which I think a lot of people do the the thing to me with finished is almost like saying I'm done doing anything. Right. And to me, that's almost not fair because you're never done. I know in my industry, you know, I've horses that are 14, 15, 16 years old. They're still competing at a super high level, still making money. They are still in the practice arena working on shoulder and cans. They're still working on you know their alignments they're still working on how they act in the alley right every day yeah and we do the same thing with um for me the hunters is definitely where i am more trained um or where i focus now but we're always trying to get the horse to the point where it literally can go through entire course on almost no contact um, and do it flawlessly without the human. I mean, I've seen a couple finished horses in the hunter ring where I can honestly say like that horse has nothing left that it needs to be taught. Jumpers are a little bit different just because the courses are so technical in regards to the turns, the striding and the hunters it's outside line, diagonal line, outside line, diagonal line. They might spice it up with a jump on the quarter line. Um, but it's so 
it's supposed to be mundane. It's supposed to be boring. Um, and the more boring you can get it, eventually you should, in theory, you should be able to turn the horse out in the arena, point it at the first fence, and it's going to go through the entire course flawlessly on its own. I look at, you know, every time I ever drive high, especially up 302 or somewhere like that, you know what I'm talking about? And I see all those jump courses and people's yards. It it always looks like a jumbled mess. I never know. I'm like, how do you know? How do you know where to go? This is so, just me asking you at this point. So honestly, I have forgotten my course so many times. Um, in the hunter ring, I love it because you can only jump the jumps in one direction the majority of the time because there's like flower boxes and a whole bunch of stuff in the front of the jump. So you can only jump it one direction. In the jumpers, it gets a little tricky because the verticals where it's just um, one one jump, um, trying to explain it in the best way so everybody could understand, where it's literally just one pole um, up top and few below it. That one you can jump literally any direction the majority of the time. Um, the oxers, they will have a couple of poles. Um, you have a front rail and a back rail. The back rail will just have the one pole and nothing underneath it. The front rail from where you jump from, it'll have a couple poles in between that and the ground. So at the very least, the horse has something to see that it's not just two poles in the air because that's that's quite the unfair question for the horse. I got tasked a few years ago with building some some jumps for a, a farm in, in Aiken. I know nothing about jumping. I was a carpenter by trade, and um, I went out, I looked at a few of the jumps. This is They told me we want something like this. So, okay. I go back, do my research, uh, build it exactly how it is. We go to deliver it, and they tell, go put it on this line or whatever. And I, I ended up asking one of the one of the guys who was exercising a horse, and I said, where is this at? And he just starts laughing. And uh, so, yeah, it's always been confusing to me. And yeah. uh, he, he points me in the right direction. The terminology we use alone is so incredibly confusing That's for someone that's not in the hunter-jumper industry. I mean, if I say oxer and nobody ever has heard that word before, they don't know what they're looking at. I mean, you say an outside line, you're going, I, I have no idea where to draw this line at. <laughs> I mean, but to or, me, outside would mean toward the rail. Right, like, and it the is. Arena. It is, but... If I, like I had a working student and I said, I want you to set a five to a two oxer vertical oxer. And to someone that isn't familiar with it, I just spoke gibberish. Um, it sounds like a new type of phonetic alphabet. Right. And what it means in all actuality is I want a jump with two rails that's a little bit wide to five strides to a jump that is just a vertical there's no um, width to it and then I want two strides afterwards to be another jump that's wider um, and it's it's just small nuances like that that I always laugh at that hunter jumpers can talk to each other um, about their entire course and someone that's not in the industry could look at them like I have no idea what you just told me yeah, it, it's nuts. My my biggest claim to fame in the jumping world is I had a halter bred paint and oh. uh, gorgeous paint. Wrote like a wrote like a jackhammer because she was halter bred, 
And a lady was looking for a horse. I said, listen, this is the queen of boss mares. She's, you bring her here. She needs to be by herself for a little while. And she obviously did not follow directions, called me like a month later and was like, can you come get this horse? And I said, no. <laughs> no, said, ma'am. No, ma'am. I said, I, I laid this out. I said, now, if you're going to do something horrible to this horse, yes, I'm on my way. I was like, if you're just mad because you didn't do what, what I told you to do, then no. And so she ended up giving – she goes, I'll just give the horse to my daughter. And I said, okay. Gave the horse to her daughter. Her daughter used it as part of her lesson program, still does. That horse wow. jumps now. There you go. This is a stocky, mainly quarter horse bred paint. That's halter bread. That's that's jumping. So that's that was my little addition to the to the to the jumping world. Y'all are welcome for this nice roan that I sent sent that way. We always love to see color in the hunter jumpers. There We're obsessed go. with it. I mean, everybody rides a bay warm blood now. We love to see. I mean, even a gray horse is flashy to us. The uh, yeah, you know, and I've noticed that too. You know, in in my world, um, roans, palominos, specifically blue roans are like the ultimate. Everybody loves a, a blue roan, and um, you know, a lot of uh, real flashy paints. Um, right. You know, they're man, color. We we love color over here. Um. But stepping stepping in a little different direction, where do you see yourself in 2022? What's what's your goal this year? Not 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 necessarily business wise. Personally, your personal growth with horses. If it has to do with business, then so be it. But honestly, I'd like to find at least three nice thoroughbreds, and I mean not like I'm gonna personally go compete them nice, but nice that good personality. And sell them to um, just a couple people in Aiken so they have a fun horse to go take lessons on. Um, and then I want to compete my personal horse. Um, it's been almost a year since I've done that with her. And she's progressed so far that I finally want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. I finally want to go and have a good time with my horse. Well, I'll make a deal with you. When you get back competing... I will dig somewhere. I probably got a pair of slacks somewhere. I will throw in a pair of khakis and a polo, and uh, I'll go watch. Oh, I I would greatly appreciate that. I need some at least maybe you, my husband, like clapping for me because the first time competing her, while we did extremely well, there was quite a few rough moments. The, you know, and I always love that, especially with with equestrian sport, is that. I've noticed, I used to think, you know, you guys over on the dark side were, uh, you know, oh, so uptight and that it, it was not like it was with us. And I noticed once I got more into the horse world here in Aiken, you guys were just as rowdy as we were. You were cheering oh, each yeah. other on, patting each other on the back. And, you know, and I was like, oh, they're just like us. You oh, know, they, very they really much are. So. You know, when, when we're running cans, our friends are right up on the rail. And oh, yeah. as as we as we go to make our first turn around the first can, they're right there hollering, hey, you know, somebody's on the other side hollering, hey, and then they're telling you, bring her home, run, let's go, clapping, whistling, and doesn't matter if you knocked all three down, they're patting you and the horse on the butt on the way out. Yeah, I think that's, that is a little bit different. Um, that one aspect is if we have a really bad round, our friends are there, and they're just going, wow, that was awful. Oh, no, we like, do that. 
Okay. See, yeah, we're not different at all. It I really mean, we'll, is. yeah, we'll we'll say we'll say good job at sucking. And then, but here's the thing. Here's something too that in my world, in my industry, that you might actually find funny. If you knock two cans down, first of all, if you knock one can down the MBHA, it's no time. Unqualified ride. In rodeo, it's oh. a yeah. In a, in rodeo, it's a second penalty. They'll not so much time. So, pretty much, if you knock one down, you're out of the money anyway. It doesn't matter. In the MBHA, one can down is no time. So wow. if you knock two down. It is tradition to kick the third over. Oh, how funny. Yeah, it is tradition to kick the third one over. They're trying to make a rule right now with um, the United States Equestrian Federation for the hunter jumpers, um, specifically the jumpers, that if you have more than five rails down, you are eliminated. Um, before, as you can knock every single one down, and I've definitely done that on a green horse before. Um but they're trying to make it so after five rails, you are eliminated and you need to exit the arena. And got mixed feelings about that one, but I think that's kind of funny that yeah. if you knock no, two if, down, go for the third. Yeah. So even so, if you break pattern, yeah, that's a no time too in my in my world. And uh, but it usually what usually you got you got a running clock. There is a certain amount of time where they're just going to tell you to go. Generally, if you keep it under a minute. They'll let you. They'll let you do whatever. So if oh. you break pattern, if you can get your horse straightened back out, and if nothing else, get it to lope the pattern, they pretty much let that slide, and they'll give you a time. Unless See, you unless you completely blew and broke the pattern, then you get no time. But yeah, that's fair. In the jumpers, um, the buzzer will sound, and you have forty five seconds to cross the start line and start your course. Um, if you if the forty five seconds have elapsed. They start the time regardless if you crossed um, the markers. Um, and if you cross the markers at one second and loop around as if you weren't ready to start your course, the timers have started, and that counts as a refusal if you turn your back to the fence um, or stop any forward motion. So if once you cross the starters, um, going over the first fence, every pull you knock down um, is four faults. Um, but in a single fence, you can knock the whole fence down and it's four faults. A refusal, I believe that's 20 faults. And after two refusals, you're eliminated, you're done. Um, if you cross your track and the course isn't designed that way, so let's say after jump number one, you turn to jump number two and it was a weird turn and you ended up crossing your path from one to two, that counts. Um, I can't remember if it's elimination or it counts as a refusal. I think it's just a refusal. Um, but yeah, we have so many crazy rules in regards to the hunters and the jumpers. Um, shoot, the hunters, if you don't do the correct amount of strides, if you leave a stride out, which would be terrifying, you're eliminated. And if you add a stride, I think it's an automatic 65 points, which usually wow. will take you out of the ribbons. Yeah, we um we have rules. A lot of people think we're just lawless heathens, you know, out here in the barrel world. But we we do have rules. If you go on the MBHA's website, we have rules. Um, the the funniest thing I have seen is that, so, and I don't know. I need to look to see if this is official. I know in some sanctioning bodies, as long as the horse breaks the timer on the way out, it's a qualified run. 
I don't think that's the case. I think horse and rider need to cross the timer for it to count in the NBHA. Um, but I do have a funny story. I had a jockey that was jockeying a mare for me. Uh, and if somebody's got, if somebody out there listening has a video of this and Montmorency about three years ago at, at the, the district three show there, please forward me this autumn Bates, my jockey loses a stirrup rounding the third can. She's trying to get it back. And while she's trying to get it back, she loses the other stirrup. So she's just decides well i'm just gonna wail on the horse with the quirk because if i'm coming off i'm coming off and she or she's yeah uh horse is stretched out she stretches out she unasses the horse before the timer her and the horse are side by side midair as the as they break the timer together she hits the uh fence panel oh was perfectly fine. She'd hit the ground and rolled and hit the fence panel and then hops up smiling like, I'm okay. And then, you know, you hear the words you never want to hear, lose horse. Um, right. Because <laughs> okay, my, that's my horse. <laughs> my, my, my nice, super fast core ab is now running wide open because nobody stopped her out the alley. And it's an, wow. open, it's an open arena in the middle of a the field there. So I think they Ooh. caught her. I think they caught her up where the trucks were parked. I, was, I, I looked at Alma and said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm going to go get my horse now. But, uh, so yeah, that's um, you, you. I don't. You, your butt technically doesn't have to be in the saddle. I don't think because uh, she won a paycheck. She, she was oh. qualified. Yeah, she got paid that night. It, it was forty, but she got paid that night. Heck, that's pretty good. Us, you actually have to leave the arena on the horse at a walk. Um, if you trot out of the arena or canter out or in, you are eliminated. Um, so if you ever hear hunter jumpers griping on barrel racers having no manners in the alley that's why because we are literally eliminated if we do not walk in or out of the arena well you know the the thing always always bothers me when people talk about well barrel horses are they're really hot look at them in the alley and i'm like no there's eager like no nobody's really going crazy like nobody bats an eye when they see a, a roping horse that's antsy in the box right but they'll be the first to, to say something when a barrel horse is tossing that head a little bit and, and, and dragging them front feet or, or hopping up a little bit. Um, there's not a butt probably in that horse. Right. It's just eager to go to work. It's definitely, there's, for the hunter jumper side of the house, we, it's one, it's a lot harder to sit in our saddle. If we're being honest, there's just not a lot to it. So, really it's a safety thing for us for if the horse is basically jumping up and down to go to the jumps um the rider might not stay on for that and, no i don't want that right and half of the time the second the rider um after your round will come in halfway through your round and just kind of stay on the rail um as you're getting ready so if we have a horse that's jumping up and down acting kind of just yeah eager but in our world acting crazy it just poses a huge safety threat um to all of us <laughs> and it's so easy to fall off with us yeah. you know you you guys are uh I'll, I'll use honey as an example you guys are like the uh the highly refined oh, i'll tell you what's even a better version olive oil <laughs> you guys are like the the highly refined you know, produced olive oil. You've taken it and you've harnessed it and you've refined it into something gorgeous. Um, we just squeezed it out back. 
you know, we take I mean, the energy and we leave it raw. We, we were barely hanging on to it. Yeah. I mean, we do have, um, granted, we have so many rules, um, just even like in regards to tack, in regards to our outfit, in regards to even what bits we can use, in regards to what martingales we can use, um, what spurs. I mean, there are so many small rules with us and i think that's the biggest reason is why we like to excuse me be rude to other disciplines is because a lot of them they can just go have fun and wear whatever they want and have a good time meanwhile we're feeling like we're getting choked by a small weak child with our collar all the way to our chin yeah well technically and you know and it always blows my mind and i've always been one when i go show we have a rule in the mbha if you are showing at an mbha event you must have a cover on your head. It can either be a helmet or a Western-styled hat. Shirt must be a collared shirt. It can be short or long sleeve, but it must be a collared shirt. Um, and boots. You must be in Western attire. All right. You go to a district show, and it's T-shirts and ball caps. And it yeah, always, I noticed. It always irked me. And the rule says that technically they can you they can refuse you your run and the only times i've ever seen people be refused a run is if they're doing something dangerous or the horse is acting nuts now you'll see that actually often if a horse is dancing on its back legs headed to the alley they might let them run and say you're not running again um oh. you're gonna you're gonna get hurt oh yeah we have we have safety rules a lot of people think we're just a bunch of hooligans we do have safety rules i mean we we are a bunch of hooligans but we're not gonna let you get killed that's that's fair. Ish. See, we we think we're not hooligans, but then we go out there and go, yeah, go get killed. I mean, <laughs> the but we're all you, the same. On if we get together, I guarantee you, you take a bunch of my people and a bunch of your people, put them on a trail ride, and we'll all be doing the same dumb stuff. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go to Bruce's Field, I just want you to go watch the point seventy to point ninety jumpers because it is terrifying in the worst kind of way. I mean people just ripping around a course um because it's so small you can make all the mistakes you want and you can go as fast as you want and nothing usually happens to you. But yeah, it's it like I, I always joke that sometimes the point seventies and the point nineties um that's where the lawless wasteland riders are, where they're just yeehawing their whole way around the course with no technical ability because you can get away with that. So, like, those guys in the extreme cowboy competition guys would be completely at home with each other? Very much so. And yeah. don't get those me wrong. Those guys are amazing, by the way. Those they extreme are. cowboy guys, holy crap. Yeah. You know who scares me, though, more, and I put them in your lot of people? The combined drivers. Yeah, they're terrifying. They they are they they're they're nuts. I There's just, no amount of sanity in those people's heads. I just want to know who decided, you know what? I like cross country so much. I'm going to put a cart behind my horse and do it behind them. Yeah. It's it's terrifying to me. Yeah, nobody on that side of the ball field can ever talk about barrel people ever again because we're just going to point to combined drivers and go, "You got those guys." That's fair. I think I think the saddle seat people also scare me a little bit. Oh, God, yeah. More or less for the breeds that they ride. Right, because I wouldn't I'm I'm scared to ride those breeds. I'll I'll get on a on any rank thoroughbred. That's fine. I know what they're gonna you know do. What they're gonna to go expect. fast. 
Yeah, you know what to expect. You know, and I owned a saddlebred, and he was a saddle seat bred horse out of Commander in Chief, high, oh, wow. super high end horse, and um, didn't buy him. He was he was gifted to me because the people were getting out of it, and for monetary reasons, they're like, you know, it takes too long to sell him. But you want him, you can have him for as long as you want him. You just can't sell him. And I was like, okay, so I took him. His name was My Honey's Money. We called him Ben, like Benjamin. I know it's tacky. He was a cribber, so he didn't stay very long. But uh, anyway, he was. The sweetest boy had the best personality, was scared of everything. And I can't stand a horse that's that way because he's so unpredictable, you know? Right. It was he was so unpredictable that it was predictable that he was gonna be unpredictable. Like I could predict when he was gonna spook at something. It was that bad. The warm bloods that I've ridden my the worst combination I've ever found in a horse is lazy and reactive. Because you're going to try everything to then, get them going then forward. You do not want a saddlebred because right. they're lazy and reactive. <laughs> right. Last thing I want because I can't do anything to get it to go forward. And then all of a sudden, there's a leaf that wasn't there yesterday. And now we're bucking and twisting in the air and I'm on the ground. Gelding's making mare noises. Yeah. Oh I mean, yeah, it's, it's nuts. And I love them. I think uh, if you look at America's saddlebreds, they're a gorgeous horse. Oh, no, absolutely. They're and one of the most beautiful horses respect. to me on the planet. And there's some really, really good ones. And I know we're picking on them. So if you guys are, some of you guys are saddle red people, listen, it's, it mainly 90 something percent. Okay, not that far, probably 40% joking. But, you know, they, they can be, you guys know, they can be a little wiry. And a lot of that had to do with the arena bred. The, the showbred American saddlebreds that are that way. and But really showbred any breed yeah. is that there, way. I think really the only ones that I have to admit that are bred for the show ring. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, that aren't kind of crazy are the sport bred thoroughbreds. You, you completely went a different direction, but okay. Do you think I was going to say warm bloods? I was. I thought you were going to say American Quarter Horse. I so and when I was in California, um, I boarded at um, Green Acres where um, what's it, Rick Rich? Um, he's he's partial owner of the property. That name sounds very familiar. He's big into sorting cutting, raining. I mean, he's got probably 150 head. And um, you can probably see on Facebook, he goes all over the country with his show string and he's very successful um, in the show world. Um, but I, my friend was his working student for a little bit and she was um, helping out with the horses, grooming, tacking, all that jazz. And some of those quarter horses, not only were they built like a tank and they were quick on their feet, but they would spook at the dumbest things. Some of them just in the arena, you could just see that person was just having a bad time trying to ride them. And altogether, I was looking at them and I go, you know what? Maybe like the Western Pleasure, maybe the um, trail, like the ones that are bred to go slow. But the ones that are competitive in speed events, I don't feel like they're bred to have too much of a brain. No, um, barrel horses, flat track horses, all those type of quarter horses, are, they're nuts. 
Okay. They're completely nuts. Now, I mean, yeah. I can, we I know plenty of barrel horses are good trail horses, but and the thing about quarter horses is compared to every other breed out there, there are more different lines, more different flavors of quarter horse than there can be of anything. You could right. take some of these lines of quarter horse and they could be a breed all their own because they're built and act completely different. You oh, could absolutely. put two quarter horses side by side and tell somebody two different pick the horses. Quarter be two totally different horses they wouldn't be able to distinguish if they were quarter horses or not yeah they, and i've seen a lot of quarter horses that are really successful on the english circuit that are 17 hands and leggy like a thoroughbred and then sure enough you go to their papers and you're like they're this, an appendix or something yeah and i'm like are you sure this thing isn't an appendix or isn't an actual thoroughbred they're like no 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 it's a quarter horse and i'm like yes i i see that on the paperwork but I need you to look at the horse oh, yeah. and look at this picture of Ruffian and tell me it's not almost the same thing. The the grandsire, you know, or something was like Salem or something. You know? I've got a friend that's that way that has a quarter horse, loves the quarter horse, um, Hancock bred, this, that, and the other. Salem is in there. And I'm like, well, you know, that there's a lot of good of appendixes that, you know, have that line. Uh, well, you know, a lot of them just have some thoroughbred in there. And I'm like, you know, the best qualities of this horse that make it such a performer these days is because of the influence of thoroughbred. The thoroughbred oh. has had such a huge impression on that breed, and you've got a lot of purists that do not like to hear that. Yeah. And then, then you bring it in the 1930s and go, well, they got a lot of standard bred Morgan put in there because they tried, yep. to, put a, they tried to put a brain in that horse. And... and yeah, thank goodness. Could you imagine if they didn't do that? Well, they were sheer, sheer quarter-mile racers. There was no brain between the mirrors for years until the 30s. And then by the time the American Quarter Horse Association rolled around in 1940, 1941, those horses had brains. And, I mean, there were some that had brains before that. But those horses really got brains, and they got super intelligent rolling in the 1950s and 1960s because there were times in the 1950s you could ask people you know what's an american quarter horse and they wouldn't know and they've got one registered right and i think that's the one thing i do appreciate about the quarter horse industry just as a whole is when when you see a weanling or a yearling even sometimes a two-year-old that hasn't had any training I've seen Western Pleasure horses that will do the Western Pleasure lope and head bob as a weanling with literally no training. I've also seen English Pleasure horses go in that English Pleasure um, frame. I've seen horses that are cutting, sorting, just the whole cow horse um, side of the line where they see a cow and they start working the cow or they see a dog and they try to work it. And I think that is just so incredibly cool from that aspect of the selective breeding that they are literally have bred into the horse their job. And I oh, yeah. love it. And I think that's why there are so many lines of quarter horse is there is a quarter horse for every flavor of person on the planet from endurance to reining to ranch work to right. The, the English sport, you know, whatever that might be, your flavor, to barrels, to racing, to you name it. There, there is a quarter horse on the planet for you. And even though I'm not, I, and I hate to, you know, I, I always talk about quarter horses and I don't really consider myself a quarter horse guy. But 
it's it's hard to hate on a horse that has gone through that much experimentation when it comes to breeding. Right. And, and, and relatively new for the, breed. Oh yeah, and it's and it's yeah, it's a breed that's what, seventy something years old? Right. And it's and look at how far it's come and the breeding has been purpose breeding for betterment. And that's what you get. Yeah. And now they haven't always done everything right, and they're still they're still not doing everything right. But as a whole, the American Quarter Horse Association has got a good reign on what that breed is going to look like in thirty years. There's Absolutely. a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of breed associations that cannot say that, and and I use the American Paint Horse Association as an example, the opposite of that. Oh my and, God, they I've never seen I part of a color genetics group on Facebook. I've never seen so many people breed two frame overos and go well i know we have a 25 percent chance at lethal white but it's only 25 and it's it blows my mind because they see the fancy frame overo and they're like i want it and i'm like you could end up with dead baby and dead mom like it's just color breeding has never made much sense to me breeding for color the thoroughbreds I mean, do it. The warm bloods are atrocious with. I mean, it's it's awful. The you know, and you look at uh, and I, I don't know. I don't blame color registries for that because color registries to me has always been kind of uh, always been kind of the the side that that's that's the that's the undercard of the fight. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but and like the American Paint Horse Association. What really irks me more or less about them is yes, we all know the paint is a is a breed. It is a defined genetic breed. Except when you check the genetics of most paints these days, they're quarter horses. Right, and they can be dual registered. The majority yes, well, of the and time. the American Paint American Paint Horse Association will let you register a solid. Paint. So you can yes. Right. But but it's, it's not a paint. It doesn't have to be a paint. It just has to have paint in there. Also, right. they don't consider with thoroughbred influences being an appendix, they consider that to right. be a paint. I know quite a few thoroughbred stallions that are actually for the American Quarter Horse Association and the American Paint Horse Association yeah. registered as studs for both on top of so many other things. I mean, but this is the funny part. We dog on the quarter horse and the paint, specifically the paint world for doing it. But the warm bloods do the exact same thing, but to an even farther extent of the majority of warm bloods aren't actually breeds. Oh yeah. They are registries. So it, you take the horse to an inspection and let's say it's a stallion. And what you're basically asking at this inspection is, is my horse good enough? Will it improve the breed? Will you let, its babies be registered as an Oldenburg or as a Hanoverian, a Holsteiner. Um, I, I think maybe Holsteiner is an actual breed, but there's like two that are actual breeds. I know Salle Francais is one, but it's it's they've taken it to a whole nother level of horses can literally have on their Oldenburg papers, Dutch warm blood on top and I don't even know, Holsteiner on bottom, and the baby comes out, and they say, Hanoverian, stamp, done, approved, branded, and it's Jeez. a Hanoverian. And I am dead serious. I have seen some papers even better. My Oldenburg was half Turkaner, who was one 
No, it was half thoroughbred. It was a tracaner. It was a registered tracaner that was half thoroughbred on the dam's dam side. And the stallion was a tracaner, so they let the baby through as a tracaner. And I mean, it's it's wild. Yeah. I mean, they took it to the next level in the warm blood industry, and they just ran with it. Well, my my people in the Morgan world were guilty of that for years, too, just because of the fact of we were running out of Morgans. There were only a handful of people breeding Morgans, so they were like, has that got Morgan in it? Then okay, we'll take it. So then we've got these gated lines of Morgans that are competing in saddle seat and everything else. That's not a thing. Justin Morgan's rolling over in his grave right now. You know, there's there's some still some places, you know, like in Vermont, I think there's a place in Montana or Wyoming that is, is breeding truly what we would call Foundation Morgans. But yeah, it you know, that world's got crazy. The paint world has gotten crazy because there are some foundation paints that are genetically paints. But there, there's also paints that are registered paints that might as well just be quarter horses, or you know, or or, or there might even be majority. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's it's nuts. There's one specific paint stallion that I actually really, really like. The Wow Factor. Um, one of my friends has um, a foal of his. Actually, I believe it's the only Palomino foal to come out of him. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous horse. Confirmationally, he is. I mean, very few flaws, um, really improving the breed, but he's 18 hands and he is a hunter under saddle paint. And while he's very successful in that world, um, he's still a paint that I'm sure has a ton of thoroughbred, a ton of quarter horse and a ton of other stuff mixed in because in theory he shouldn't be 18 hands, but he is. And it just, it, while I love the actual stallion, it drives me absolutely bonkers to think that a horse that far outside of what the norm is for that breed yeah. is standing at stud for, I think, like $2,500. Was I was talking with a client today. I was doing some, some work for her, and we were talking about her Morgan, and her Morgan is um, a nice sorrel Morgan. And I said, yeah, I said, by the way, I said, there's a horse that is um, – competing in the Rain and Cow Horse Association right now, I said the standard up. I said, it's a sooty Palomino Morgan. And uh, she goes, that's not a Morgan. Morgans don't come that color. And I'm like, well, they do now. And uh, she goes, well, Morgan should be bay. And I was like, well, your Morgan's not Whoa. bay. You know? And she goes, well, he's a sorrel, so you know, I could see red coming out. And I'm like, yeah, I said, but your Morgan's like 16 hands, and that's not Morgan either. Right. You know? And... um she started laughing. She goes, I know. She goes, you know, but, you know, her horse just looks like a giant Morgan. Yeah. Um, you know, but the, the, it, it is crazy with the, with the influences that we're seeing, the outside influence into these breeds these days. Some are for, you know, like with the quarter horses, we're seeing it for the better. And then some of the other breeds we're seeing that though performance wise may be getting better for the breed itself. It is, right. you know, the quarter horse association has embraced it and said, hold on. We're we're kind of new kids anyway. Nobody knew what we really were until about the 1950s or 60s anyway. We don't mind the influence, even though some will reject it. The average quarter horse owner is like, more appendix? I'm all about that life. Let's get right. it. In the performance world. Then you've got your rock-crushing ranch horses. Those horses are going to always be rock-crushing ranch horses because they're yeah. not going to bring in any thoroughbred. So They're not. And I can see why they don't want to. Um I can see why they don't want outside influence into that specific niche of quarter horses. 
but the vast majority of quarter horses that I've seen, very, very, very few of them don't have an outside influence somewhere in their pedigree. Oh yeah. The, yeah, you're not you're probably not gonna see King Ranch bring in thoroughbreds to put with their, you know, Peppy Sen Badger horses. There's no need there. Right. You're there, not gonna see there's nothing four, they'll bring. Yeah, you're not gonna see four sixes bring in yeah. thoroughbreds to put in with Hancocks. All right. Did anyone buy four sixes? Yes, it um the guy uh Taylor Sheridan, the creator and writer for Yellowstone owns four sixes. Wow. That was and a sad he, day when I saw it go up for sale. Yeah, it's um um it's uh actually they're doing a spin-off of Yellowstone oh. Oh. called Four Sixes. Go figure. I mean I heard yeah, I didn't watch Yellowstone, but I heard Yellowstone was a little bit a disaster in regards to horsemanship. It's it's uh, so I don't watch it and cringe all that much. There are times when I'm like, eh, they they're now using for the people that just absolutely can't ride. I don't know if they just got enough feedback from for the audience that now they've they've put stuntmen on those horses that Thank are actual goodness. actual actual cowboys, you know, that that know the word. And then you've got uh, the guy that plays Lloyd, who's kind of the he is kind of the uh the the ranch boss the the head cowboy outside of the the guy who's supposed to be one of the main characters um he's actually he he's he he broke his first horses at seven and oh, was wow. a saddle and was a saddle and bareback rider for like 20 years grew up on a ranch Jeez. was a working bedroll cowboy and now he's got a big role on the show i have no complaints with that man riding yeah. whatsoever um and i tell you another person that will surprise you on that show who is seems to be competent in the saddle and that is um why did his name just escape me? Um the, the main the best moments, right? The main character, Mr. Dutton himself. Uh um Kevin Costner. I heard he's actually quite a good writer. He's, I've he's, noticed a lot of Hollywood people are really good equestrians. Well, I think it's because there's a there's a lot of them that ride. It's they, a status thing on top of it. I really think it is. Like I know a bunch of lawyers over in Augusta that they go over to a, you know, we did some work years ago, built some townhouses for a guy who was a lawyer, and uh, he come up in boots one day, like you know, you know, knee high equestrian boots. This guy was bumpkin, you know, and uh, he had breeches on and and boots. And I'm like, where are you going? I'm gonna go ride my horse. And I'm like, you look like you're about to go ride a horse. You know, it's, it's not your. I know you, but you know, I mean. Whatever. It's a status thing. Some people play golf, some people ride horses. I do both. But you know, it's not a status thing for me. I'm horrible at both. So that's fair. I what was that TikTok trend? Um, it's like, are you a good rider? And it was like sometimes maybe good. And I was like, Oh, that's sometimes me. maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's me. So well bringing it to a close. If uh anybody's interested in your services, how do they get a hold of you? Um Honestly, um, they can go on Facebook to Echo 5 Performance Horses. Um, I might need to change a couple things to say I'm here in Aiken now, but by all means, Echo 5 Performance Horses. I'm still giving jumping lessons. I specialize in hunters, jumpers, and equitation. Um, and I definitely specialize in off-the-track thoroughbreds. And I can be a consultant for someone that wants to buy an off-the-track thoroughbred, or I can do... Um, however many months they want the horse in training, I can absolutely do that for them too. You still going to teach me to jump? Yeah, absolutely. If, if, if you will teach me to jump, will you ride a barrel horse on a pattern? Oh Legit yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
it's a it's a bet. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna can beat I do my it tail. in my can I do it in a jumping saddle though? Absolutely. And you better be riding britches too. Oh yeah, no, britches, tall boots, and my helmet, of course. And them know. little bumper spurs that you guys wear. Oh, I don't wear spurs. Oh you don't? Oh you won't you won't yeah, okay. Mine That's don't my legs are strong. Mo- yeah, well, most 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 of our horses they don't need spurs either. Yeah, it looks <laughs> just, like it. They're just so used to going. If you see anybody that runs barrels and they're wearing spurs, it's just because they like the, the sound they make as they walk. The clink clink. But, yeah, because the horse doesn't need them. That's so, fair. Flo, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm so happy you're you're in town with us now. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Pick your brain. Thank you so much. I really uh, appreciate it. And uh, no, the honor the honor is all mine. And um, so it's Echo Five Performance Horses, based out of Aiken, South Carolina, for all your off the track thoroughbred needs, or any horse for that matter. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly, I I do have a foundation in dressage. Um, unfortunately, it's only to third level, but I can definitely get a horse started with it. And any of the, especially hunters and equitation, I can definitely be your gal. That is awesome. And again, I am so happy you came on. Uh, we'll have to grab you again another day, maybe a different subject. Um, we went all, we went all over the place today, but you know what? That's, that's usually a good sign when uh, the, the conversation shifts and the information is out there. So we always have good conversations. We always seem to click with horses, and uh, I love that, and I'm glad you're here here in town with us now. So it's Echo 5 Performance Horses in Aiken, South Carolina. Get with Flo via Facebook and uh, get your horse taken care of. Get you taken care of. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome. 